Welcome to the next installment of the Power and Utility Surge, PwC's continuing podcast series uh, addressing power and utilities tax matters. I'm Sal Montabano. I lead our power and utilities tax practice, and I'm happy to be joined by one of our recurring guests, Scott McCandless. Scott, we're making a habit of this. <laughs> That's right, Sal. Glad to be back, and thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining again and, and taking some of your uh, busy schedule to uh, uh, join us here and, and address a few issues. Uh, but it seems to be uh, the biggest issue on everybody's mind is what's going to happen from a legislative standpoint. Sure. You know, uh, you said this is a repeat performance and it probably won't be the last either because I think we're on a track now that this will take a little bit longer than perhaps we initially thought. Uh, I thought that perhaps after the Green Book and therefore sometime in the month of June, we might start to see some legislative language start to emerge. And it sounds like they're actually quite a ways away from legislative language actually being put together. I think the timeline uh, is a little bit complicated by the ongoing bipartisan infrastructure talks that uh, seem to go in fits and starts. And that's expected. It, it, sometimes they fall apart. We saw that at one stage where one part of the talks fell apart and almost immediately another effort. Yeah, it's flooded into that vacuum. I think we're going to see some fits and starts on that uh, for a little bit longer. But in the meantime, the Democrats are working on the uh, the predicate step, the budget resolution, uh, which is the key thing that tees up a reconciliation package. And that will take a while. The budget resolution itself won't contain the legislative language. That will just contain some of the top line numbers in terms of what they want to spend and how much revenue they want to generate. And then they will put the pieces of that puzzle together later. But it'll probably be at least July and maybe even later before we start to see actual legislative text now as this process continues to, to flow forward. And just one last thought about that infrastructure package. Even if they get a bipartisan infrastructure package, I still think they will go forward with a reconciliation. Uh, and the main driver for that reconciliation package would either be whatever's left from infrastructure that the Democrats wanted to achieve but did not yet in a bipartisan package, or uh, or perhaps and or it could be a climate change bill. And I think that will become the theme for what will then also be a reconciliation package containing tax increases. And the tax increases, rather than paying for infrastructure, will be used to pay for uh, general energy build-outs, renewable energy issues, and some renewable, renewable energy tax incentives that they would like to expand. So I think they are uh, quite able to pivot pretty agilely to that next package. And either way, ultimately, a reconciliation package is likely to come together. That's that's very helpful, Scott. So it sounds like uh, go ahead and buckle your seatbelt because we've got that's a right. long way to go. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah that's so, exactly right. You know how August recess tends to be a slow period, obviously, because it's recess. September isn't all that much better. They do come back after the August recess, but it's filled with a variety of religious holidays and other events during September that tend to slow down the congressional schedule. So this might end up being a bit of a repeat of 2017, where we see a huge amount of activity in October and November uh, and a push into the fourth quarter. I, I, again, am a little surprised to say that. I thought we would have had more activity this summer. Certainly, if Speaker Pelosi decides that she wants to put a shoulder to this wheel, uh, this, things could move faster than we're predicting at this particular moment. But it looks like we're uh, we're slipping into the Q3, Q4 timeframe. Yeah, things always seem to take longer uh, than they otherwise would seem to take. So, so Scott, over the past few months, you know, just to steer this in a particular direction uh, around P and U, 
We've seen the clean energy proposals introduced or reintroduced by various members of Congress. Notably, we had the Green Act introduced and we had the Widen Clean Energy Act. In addition, you know, the president also campaigned on various clean energy proposals. Uh, and he has his American Jobs Plan and the recent Green Book that he recently released along with the Department of Treasury. So given all the various proposals, especially around clean energy, how do you see this moving forward and how do you see all the various proposals coalescing into one? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we, you have a moment after the Green Book comes out where it feels like the administration's proposals are in the lead. And I think that's just a reflection of the fact that that's really the only document that we have. It's, there's not that much meat on the Green Book bone, but it's more than anything else because we don't have any other legislative language. And I think that's a little bit deceptive. Uh, certainly the administration can propose, but it's up to Congress to dispose and uh, they hold that prerogative very closely. And so I think ultimately what we'll see will be driven mainly by the congressional proposals. And of the two that are on the table, the two you mentioned, the House Green Act and then the Wine proposals, I think the the spine of this thing, the architecture will be built around uh, the House proposal. I think the Green Act is the more likely uh, framework from which they will build. It's a little less radical than the Wyden proposal. And I think there's some merit to the, to the basic Wyden idea of trying to clean up the tax provisions around energy, bucket them into their transportation versus energy production and so forth, uh, and try to streamline them. I think there's a lot of merit to that idea, but I'm not sure if that's a bridge too far and that the easier pathway here is really for them to take the Green Act, which is a little more traditional. And certainly every Democrat on the Ways and Means Committee has endorsed the Green Act. That by itself tells you, I think, where the direction is headed. So if I were to look at uh, the main provisions that I think would, would be the building blocks for this, I would look to the Green Act. That's where I think most of the action will be. And then it will be a matter of taking maybe some of the Biden elements, maybe some of the Biden elements and mixing them in. I think that's how we go forward. That's very helpful perspective, Scott. And, and it's interesting in that if you look at the various proposals, the widened proposals seem to be the most specific from an industry perspective in the sense that there were provisions addressing normalization around transmission and energy storage. And there was a potential to opt out of investment tax credits and, and elect production tax credits for things like solar, which would take that out of the normalization rules. So, you know, what we've seen from the House proposals and from the president's proposals, as you mentioned, much more straightforward kind of extension of a lot of the renewable energy provisions with uh, a little kickers added to it, uh, such as energy storage and, and transmission, at least in the president's case. So that's interesting perspective that uh, maybe we would start with the more simple proposals and then see what complexity may get added to it uh, over time. Yeah, I think your, your use of the normalization uh, issue as an example is a perfect one because that's exactly the kind of item that could be added to a bigger package and it will depend a little bit on time and, and focus. If these provisions become additive to something else, in other words, if the reconciliation package is primarily an infrastructure bill, then I think it's more likely to have uh, the simpler Green Act type approach and maybe the more complex issues like normalization not be included. If the reconciliation project is instead more specifically focused around climate change or energy issues, then I think you have a better chance for some of those complexities uh, to be understood, dealt with, 
and incorporate it into the final bill because it will be more of the focus. They'll have more attention to that. Uh, and I think that some of those merits will be drawn out. So it will depend a little bit on the setup, the amount of time and the amount of depth they're willing to to spend and go on these issues, because I think there's a lot of merit to, to those normalization provisions. And I think that House members, even though we'll probably get most of the Green Act, would look favorably on something like normalization, the, the normalization proposal in the Wyman bill, uh, just because they understand that that's been a fairly thoughtful approach. That Somebody took the complex issue, figured out at least a, a possible opportunity for dealing with it, and therefore, they might incorporate that. So they would look favorably on that work that had already been done. But I think it's really, to step back, it's really going to depend on the setup. If it's mainly an infrastructure bill, maybe you don't get to that level of detail. If it's more of a climate slash energy bill, then you, the normalization provisions have a much better chance of being incorporated. Yeah, so so speaking of that and kind of the dichotomy and how these bills can go between infrastructure and, and a reconciliation bill... I think it's pretty clear that there is support for clean energy amongst the Democrats. It's in the president's proposal. It's in Senator Wyden's proposal. There's extensive support in the House. Where do the Republicans sit with regard to all this, uh, especially if we're looking for bipartisan support for an infrastructure bill? Yeah, there's a pretty good gulf there between them, I think. Uh, I think Republicans ha had been pretty pleased with uh, the path that we've been on for the last several years that have been essentially ratcheting down and looking for essentially a, a graceful exit, if you would, from, from some of these, maybe not completely eliminating them, but ratcheting down the, uh, the begin construction dates and the, the uh, extent of the credits, the percentage of the credits. They were happy with that because I think that their, their theory here, their perspective is these things should be able to stand on their own by now. They've had these incentives for you know, now quite a number of years. And those industries should be mature enough that they can stand on their own and that that's really the purpose for tax incentives, that you can get something off the ground that needs nurturing, but then let it fly on its own. So I think that was really their philosophy. I don't think um, that they would be completely opposed, however, to seeing some kind of extension or expansion of these credits. I do think that direct pay and the idea of making them refundable, which is very top of mind, it seems, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment here. Democrats seem to really like that. Uh, Republicans aren't too keen on that particular part of it. Nor are they very excited about the idea, especially in the Wyden proposal, of eliminating some of the other energy provisions, specifically for oil and gas or extractive industries, um, as pay-fors or offsets to try to do more on the renewable side. So I think that they would have some pretty big uh, chasms to bridge here if they were going to try to bring Republicans into the fold. And that's why I think that uh, even if they do get a bipartisan infrastructure package, this won't be part of that. Rather, Democrats would turn to climate and energy and do so on their own. It would be a partisan exercise because I don't think they can bridge that gap with Republicans and really get where the Democrats want to go. No, that's that's very helpful, Scott. And it, it sounds like that there could be a lot of puzzle pieces here to try to fit together uh, right. to, to get all the, the uh, pieces in place, so to speak, to, to get something passed in the long run. Uh, kind of taking it down one tangent. Uh, a lot of support in the president's plan around nuclear. So there's a, a standalone nuclear production tax credit out there that didn't seem to have uh, support in some of the other bills that we've seen. I'm interested in what's your take uh, on seeing some sort of nuclear incentive uh, make it to the finish line in this case. Yeah, I think it's fairly small. I was a little surprised to see that in the president's proposal. Um, I think there's quite a bit of, of merit technologically and from a renewable, and especially if you're going to hit your targets, 
I think that the administration is probably recognizing that if they want to get to the goals set up by Paris or by their own administrative statements, that nuclear probably needs to be part of the mix. And correct me if I'm wrong, as I understand it, nuclear makes up something like 20% of our overall grid, but it makes up something like 50% of clean energy in the United States. So, and I think that's a little understood. Um, and I think nuclear still has a little bit of a bad name around it, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and I think that that bad name is fairly common among democratic perspectives, and therefore it's, it's got a high hurdle to clear. But I think that the administration is, has included it because they recognize that without nuclear, it's difficult to hit some of their targets. So that's a tough conversation to come, but I, I think that it's um, it's unlikely that nuclear survives into the, uh, the final bill as a result. Maybe some minor incentives for it, but I don't think anything very dramatic. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that that's a very polarizing issue sure around is. nuclear power. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Maybe one last question for you, Scott, and it'll be a little bit of a difficult one, but I'll try to tee it up for you as much as possible. You know, from what I'm hearing in the industry, given a lot of the provisions out there that would change where we're at around renewables, things like changes to the normalization provisions, or you reference direct pay uh, as an option in a lot of the proposals out there as well. There seems to be a little bit of a paralyzing effect to companies right now because of the unknowns that are out there. Um, if we get direct pay, that may send the company down one avenue as far as whether they pursue a build of their own and, and, and take the credits or direct pay themselves. And if they don't get direct pay, maybe it's more of where they look at tax equity or some other structures to, to, to have somebody else take the credits and, and have them take some of the clean energy at a discount, perhaps. But uh, I guess in conversations with Congress, is there some sort of recognition of almost this paralyzing effect the longer that this gets drawn out? And, and as we move towards Q3 and Q4, as you kind of started the conversation, um, that this may take a lot longer than we all thought originally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really could. I think it's important to understand that the Democrats seem to have become quite enamored of the idea of direct pay or making these refundable. They really like that idea. I'd be surprised if it doesn't survive in some form into the end. Uh, however, maybe uh, given that timeline and with that timeline comes the opportunity to do more education on the Hill, maybe that allows the members to understand that optionality might be a good way to go here. And maybe if you wish to elect direct pay, you can. And if you don't, that's okay too. Maybe that would provide some flexibility because I think that you're exactly right. There are as yet some foreseeable, but also a lot of unforeseen potential consequences from that radical of a change or if they go straight to direct pay. Uh, and I don't think they quite understand all the ripples that that would have throughout the marketplace. So I agree. I think the longer this drags out, the better chance for that understanding to deepen uh, and the better chance that the policy outcomes are, are more informed because I think you're right. There's a lot of risk here, but don't sleep on that direct pay. They seem to really love it. And to the extent that any energy bill gets done that has some kind of renewable aspect to it, and I think it's probably more likely than not that it will, I would highly expect direct pay to be part of that conversation. Very interesting, Scott. So I appreciate your time today uh, on the surge here, and I'm sure we may be tapping into you uh, later on as this continues to twist and turn over time here. Thanks for your time, yeah, Scott. You bet. Thank you very much, Sal. Appreciate it. And until next time, that's the power and utility surge.
This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.